9. David now has assumed control of the kingdom. He asked God, he said, God, what should I do after the death of Saul? Shall I go up? Shall I establish my kingdom? And God said, go up. Establish your kingdom. But there still was some tension because there was Ishbosheth. He was a descendant of Saul and he was claiming to be king. In fact, for two years he claimed to be king in a different city. While David is claiming to be king in another city. David being the Lord's anointed, Ishbosheth being simply the descendant of someone whom God had rejected. There was tension, there was warfare, there was a power struggle back and forth between the house of Ishbosheth and the house of David. But eventually, David and his followers prevailed. And so we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and David starts off with an awesome question in verse 1. He asks, Is there anybody still left from the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? He thought to himself, Is there anybody I can be kind to, I can be nice to? Because back when Jonathan was alive and they were best friends, they'd made this agreement. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel 20. They made an agreement. Jonathan recognized that David was the called person by God. But he said, when you take power, when the enemies are vanquished, be kind to my family. David remembered his covenant. He remembered his agreement. And now, as things have settled down, he says, is there anybody I can be kind to? The fact that he had to ask the question means that it wasn't, it wasn't clear whether there were still descendants of Saul left. Whoever it was was in hiding, apparently. And so he has to go to somebody who knows. He goes to Ziba. Ziba was a servant of King Saul. We see there in verse 2, Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. Verse 3, the king asked, Is there anyone, is there no one still left from the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness? Now he clarifies exactly what type of kindness. Not just any old kindness, but God's kindness. David could think back in his own experience time and time again and realize that God had been so kind to him. The word for kindness in Hebrew is the word chesed. It's the same word that David used when he penned Psalm 23 at the end where he says, Surely goodness and loving kindness or steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life. David could reflect. Even though he had to go through the valley of the shadow of death, he knew that God was good. And wherever he went, there was kindness and God's goodness following him all the days of his life. And so now he says, I want to show that same kindness back to the household of the man who was trying to kill me. I want to show God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, second half of verse 3, There is a son of Jonathan still. He is crippled in both feet. We don't have a name yet, but we know that he has now a disability. It's interesting. We don't get the, till the name uh, until verse 6. Sometimes we see people only for their outward appearances for a feature about their life, maybe a disability. How do you see people? How do you describe people? Ziba, as he described the guy we're about to talk about, he said, oh, he, there's a guy, but he's disabled. 
it's interesting, as we study this story, we, we see that David never refers or even mentions the disability of Mephibosheth. You see, Mephibosheth was the guy who was still alive. Can you say Mephibosheth? Try it. Mephibosheth. It's a tricky one. When you go home today, you can try saying it five times fast. It's really, it's really tough. I was trying earlier. Mephibosheth, 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 Mephibosheth. It's tough. Got to practice that one. Mephibosheth, he still was alive. But apparently he's, he's been in hiding. In fact, Ziba knew where he was. Where is he? Verse 4, the king asked. Ziba said, he's at the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So Mephibosheth is not only in hiding, he doesn't even have a house to call his own. He's living with somebody else. He's living with a disability. He's living in fear that somebody will discover his whereabouts and that, as was customary in those times, that he would be killed. Because if you're the, the new king rising to power and, and you're not from the lineage of the previous king, you don't want someone else rising up to claim authority, claim the rightful heir to the throne. So many times they just wiped him out. And we actually find that the reason that Mephibosheth was disabled, the reason he couldn't walk, is because back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, when Saul's dead and Jonathan's dead, the nurse of young five-year-old Mephibosheth snatches him up and is running away. And as she's running, she apparently trips or, or somehow drops him. And both of his feet are injured, and so he's now no longer able to walk. But a significant amount of time has passed. Mephibosheth has grown to some extent between that time and this time. At least several years have passed. And so King David, verse 5 brought him, had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. How would you feel if you've been summoned to meet the king and you know the tradition, you've been hiding since five years old and you know what he could do to you? Scared, terrified, not sure what's going to happen. I've finally been found out. And David greets him. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. And notice David's very first words in chapter 7. After he uses his name to identify him. Name that, when you hear your own name, it's just a sweet sound to your ears many times. Better than, hey you. When you hear your name, hey, that's me. What does David say in verse 7? Don't be afraid. Very first words, he wants to try and put aside these the fearful thoughts and attitudes and say things are going to be all right. In fact, David promises Mephibosheth three things. Number one, he promises him peace. Two, as we'll see, prosperity. And finally, third, a place at his table. Mephibosheth, don't be afraid, David said to him, verse 7. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. It's good news, Mephibosheth. Not only am I not going to kill you, I'm going to give you the land, the personal property that your grandfather Saul owned. And better than that, you're going to eat with me 
every single day at my table like one of my sons. What a change in perspective for Mephibosheth, going from thinking he might be killed to now realizing the arms are wide open and he's being fully and totally accepted. Mephibosheth didn't feel worthy. Verse 8, he bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? In that culture, calling someone else a dog was an insult. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was referring to David and, and to the rest of the people, one of those, as a dog. Insult. Highly offensive in this shame on our society. And so, how do you make things worse? Instead of a dog, you're a dead dog. Which is worse than being a dog. We don't quite get the same effect in our culture, our, our dog-loving culture today. Uh, He didn't feel worthy. He just couldn't believe that this was being offered to him. Verse 9, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Notice David could have said, I've given the guy, or I've given Mephibosheth everything that used to belong to the guy that was trying to kill me. The bad king, you know, the one that God rejected. But instead of saying that, he just says, your master, the one that you used to serve, I've given it to his grandson. Verse 10, you and your sons and his servants are to farm the land for him and bring him the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He was well equipped to be the servant, to the labor force, to make sure that Mephibosheth had everything that he needed. Verse 11, Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever the, my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table, King David's table, like one of the king's sons. It's like he's been adopted into the family. Instead of being afraid for his life every day, now he eats and hangs out with the king, with his sons. He gets to, to hear the conversations in that royal dining area. He feels welcomed, embraced, like a son. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. He's no longer five years old. He has his own son. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. So we come what seems to be the end of the story of Mephibosheth. Got to keep practicing. But there's actually a little bit more to his story. There are a couple more chapters that mention him. So I want to turn there real quickly. As you flip through the pages in 2 Samuel, you see the titles of the different stories. A lot happens during these stories. You get to chapter 15. Absalom, the son of David, now has a conspiracy. He wants to be the king. He wants to usurp the kingship from David, taking it also from Solomon at the same time. And, and in chapter 15, David flees. He realizes, man, this is a battle that I may not win. I could be killed. I'm just going to get out of town while I still can. He flees. He runs away. And then we get to chapter 16. 
And there's an interesting development, a wrinkle in the story. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, it says, When David had gone a short distance from the summit, there was Ziba, the servant, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. And the king asked Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the desert. The king asked them, Where is your master's grandson? Ziba said to him, He's staying in Jerusalem because he thinks, Today the house of Israel will give back to me my grandfather's kingdom. Then David said to Ziba, All that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favor in your eyes, the Lord the king. So here now, David's skipping town. He's getting out while he still can, escaping for his life. Ziba says, hey, here's something to help you on your way. Where's Mephibosheth? Oh, he's back in town. Because he feels like he could now be king. And now we're not sure what to do with the story. Wait, I thought Mephibosheth was welcomed and accepted and sitting at the table. And now he's doing this? And we're starting to have a different opinion about Mephibosheth. Eventually the conflict is settled. Sadly, Absalom is eventually killed. Uh, David is eventually able to return to the city. And he comes back. We see now chapter 19. David returns to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 19 Verse 24. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. David's coming back into town, and there Mephibosheth is to greet and to welcome the king. Now we've got to remember, for him to be one of the first to greet him, that's, that's no small task, right? Not able to walk. But somehow he makes it out to be one of the first people to greet the king. And then we notice some details that start to make us wonder about the story that Ziba told earlier. In fact, we find that Ziba was not telling the truth. He was playing the situation to get as much gain as he could for himself. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth comes down to meet the king and the Bible says he had not taken care of his feet, hadn't trimmed his toenails, hadn't trimmed his mustache, or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. Instead of trying to pretty himself up and make himself ready to take the throne, he hasn't even taken a bath since David left. His toenails are long, his mustache is unkempt, he smells... He's been in a situation of mourning ever since David had left. Contrary to Ziba's uh, accusation, Mephibosheth had been loyal the whole time. When the king came from Jerusalem, verse 25, or when he came to Jeru from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, My lord the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and I will ride on it so that I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. 
he was ready to hop on his donkey and ride out of the city with David, accepting whatever fate was going to come to David, whether it was prosperity or whether it was death, Mephibosheth was ready to go. And then Ziba steps in. We don't know exactly what he said, but Ziba steps in and he stops the plan. And then Ziba gets a whole bunch of donkeys and makes it look like he's trying to help David. But in reality, he's just stabbing him in the back. Verse 27, he says, And he, Ziba, slandered your servant to my, uh, to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever pleases you. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from the lord my king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? He just basically says, this is my story, believe it or not. Do whatever to me you think is best, because I trust in your decision. He's not even trying to plead his case anymore. He's just as happy that David is back and trusts the decision to him. The king said to him, what? Why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the fields. Previously, he'd given Ziba all the fields, and now, instead of going all the way back on his promise to Ziba, he just says, all right, well, will you guys split it. At least you'll have half and half. And notice Mephibosheth's response. Verse 30. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take everything, now that my lord the king has come home safely. For him, it wasn't about the property. It wasn't about becoming king himself. He just was happy that David was back and back safe. He was content just to live in the palace or to live wherever he lived and eat in the palace day by day. It didn't matter to him if he had great wealth or not. He'd experienced the kindness of David and he just wanted to be with the man that he loved, the king that he loved, the king that he wanted to serve. And so we come to the end, a happy end after a couple of turns in the road from Mephibosheth. We don't know when he died. We don't know the exact circumstances, but we know and we believe in heaven he's going to have two good feet that work really well. So I asked the question, what can we learn from his story? A short story, but a powerful story. I suggest that there are two primary things we can take away from Mephibosheth's story. Number one, kindness is powerful. Never underestimate the transforming power of kindness. It's amazing, just little things, how they can change the way somebody looks at you, can change the attitude and the heart of people. I remember one time I went to a sporting event, big sporting event, and I was wearing the jersey of, of the visiting team. And I was with my cousin, and we were kind of nervous. But we were there, and people were saying mean things to us. But it was amazing when we just responded in kindness and said, hey, you guys have a good team. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think your team's actually a better team, and, and they're probably going to go on. And uh, It was amazing how kindness disarmed people who were coming at us with hostility. David, in the beginning, asked, is there anybody I can show kindness to? This is a question each one of us should ask today. 
this week, every day, God, is there anybody that I can be kind to? And notice, he didn't say for Saul's sake. He said for Jonathan's sake. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 25, if you've done it to the least of them, my brothers, you've done it unto me. So you can ask this week, is there anybody I can show kindness to for Jesus' sake? And even if that person totally rejects it, Jesus experiences the benefit. He experiences the joy. And Jesus, guess what? It's going to live forever. So your act of kindness, even if it's totally rejected, is going to have an eternal benefit in the heart of our Savior. Kindness is powerful. Kindness transforms. Who can you show kindness to this week? Maybe it's that coworker that doesn't like you and does things to get under your skin. Can you show them kindness this week? It's disarming. People aren't ready for it, especially when they're trying to antagonize you. Maybe it's that family member that you really struggle to get along with. You'll be seeing them soon at the 4th of July gathering. Can you show them kindness? The person that cuts you off in traffic and you want to just lay on that horn, you want to not act as a Christian in your car. Show them kindness this week. Just wave. Have a prayer. That's right. Who can you show kindness to this week? Number two, reflect on the kindness that God has shown you. You have experienced God's kindness in the fact that you are alive and breathing today. Because of God's mercy, we are not consumed, the writer says. Reflect on God's kindness. It says in the New Testament, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. How have you experienced God's mercy, God's kindness? Julian in the baptistry today experienced God's kindness in that physical reminder of his sins being totally washed away. What has God done for you? You know, in a way, all of us are Mephibosheth. This story is a true story. It's a literal story. But in a way, I kind of identify with Mephibosheth. Crippled by my sinful condition. Crippled by my mistakes, by my failures. At times, we live in fear of God because we have the wrong picture of who He is. And then He calls us into His presence. And not to condemn us or to accuse us or to hurt us. He calls us into His presence to forgive us and to embrace us and to love us. And then he says, better than that, I want you to be my son. John the Beloved realizes, he said, behold what manner of love has been given to us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. And Jesus uh, furthermore invited us to his table. He says in the kingdom, I want you to sit down with me at my table and eat day by day forever. We are so grateful that we've been carried to your table. Broken and unworthy as we are, you accept us, you forgive us, and you want to give us the power each day to choose again. Father, during this week, our patience will be tested. I pray that we can respond in kindness. 
remembering the great kindness that you've shown to us day by day, week by week. May our lives be changed by that love and kindness, and may we help introduce others to that kindness this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.